0: coffee shops, they do things better, right? They get the right beans. They they roast it the right way. They do it better than the big chains, right? But we just are, want to tell their story better together. So yeah, I mean, our, our ultimate goal and our vision is to be in every major U.S. city and unite local coffee shops in the whole country in that sense.
1: Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Alexandra Brankov and Cole Worley, the co-founders of Cofilia. Cofilia is a Cleveland startup and network of curated local coffee shops where people can purchase monthly memberships and enjoy a sustainable and community-driven coffee experience. Alexandra is a proud product of Serbian immigrant parents. Born in Cleveland, Ohio, she moved to Europe to continue her professional career in strategy implementation consulting for Global Fortune 500s after receiving her master's in international management in Madrid, Spain. Now back in Cleveland, Alexandra came up with the idea for Cafilia during a winter retreat in Canada and decided to pursue it, launching the pilot program in July of 2020 in the Cleveland market. Cole had earned his degree studying marketing and entrepreneurship at the University of Dayton and has worked with companies all over the world in marketing, business development, and product management capacities. He has had a hand in launching new business units, managing mass market and luxury products, and consulting with small and medium sized businesses. In addition, Cole led and organized the Startup Bus competition across North America, where people come together, pitch their skills and startup ideas, form teams. Build and launch a product in just three days, all while traveling to a final destination on the bus. Collectively, Cole and Alexandra are working to bring Cophilia to every major city, all in support of local, sustainable, and quality coffee for coffee shop owners and coffee enthusiasts alike. We cover everything from historical coffee macro trends to the meaning of Cophilia, the word itself. To managing a coffee subscription service, please enjoy my conversation with Alexandra Brankhub and Cole World. I had the the pleasure of sitting down with both of you a few weeks ago, and so I feel like I got a little sneak peek into <laughs> into how parts of your stories collectively come together, kind of like a, an exciting trailer for what our our conversation today may uh, be about but uh, I've been looking forward to it to, to have you both on to kind of share it more broadly. so thank you for, for, for joining me today. Sure. Of course happy to be here. So I, I would love to to go through you know both of your backgrounds and and how you know your your paths begin to, to overlap and and to cross but Alexander, how about you kind of set the stage for us here and tell us a, a little bit about your yourself?
0: Yeah, so I am born in Cleveland, originally from here. I say I'm a proud uh, product of Serbian immigrant parents. It's really shaped me into who I am today. I went to the University of Akron for my degree in international business. And after graduating, I ended up moving to Europe Um, for personal reasons. I got married, moved to London, uh, and then after London, decided to apply for a master's program in business. And I got into a top 10 business school in Madrid, Spain, an IE business school. So we ended up moving to Madrid, like my, you know, basically realizing my dreams of living in Spain one day. (laughs) And um, yeah, moved to Madrid, did my master's there and then got a job in a consulting, a local consulting company doing strategy implementation consulting for Fortune 500s. Um, An amazing experience I had. And I mean, I felt very fortunate to get this job when it was a 25% unemployment market at the time in Spain. Um, So I worked there for a few years until my husband and I decided to move back to the States. Um, And then um, just because parents are here in Cleveland, it became, you know, it was our home base in the beginning. And then uh, he ended up getting a job and then I ended up going into my own ventures here. And so here we are for, right for right now.
1: Uh, all roads lead back to, to Cleveland. Yes.
0: <laughs> 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 Who knows Who knows what our, where life will take us. But for now, you know, we are here. And of course, this is where I launched Cophelia originally and look forward to seeing what the future brings.
1: Me as well. We're, we're glad you're here. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> Cole, how about um, you share a little bit about yourself as well and your your own path? Sure. It's kind of funny how similar our backgrounds
2: are in a way. I'm also a boomerang. So I, I grew up in the Cleveland area on the east side in Chagrin Falls and moved away for college and didn't really come back for about almost 10 years. So I, I studied marketing and entrepreneurship at the University of Dayton. And while I was in college, I got introduced to the, the business seen in Southeast Asia. And from there, I got an internship opening a a new hotel. And then after graduation, I I moved there and I I got a job basically starting new business units for a small investment firm and loved it. Basically got to manage uh, luxury lifestyle products like cigars, uh, whiskey stuff. We had a chain of member only clubs as well as uh, we started up a, a mega yacht sales project. Now, unfortunately that project never never finished because 2008 happened. <laughs> Most of our funding for all the new stuff dried up. And as things went on in 2009, I ended up leaving and uh, moved back to Cleveland, Ohio in 2010. And honestly, it was like a stepping off point because I had been away for a number of years and thought, Uh, Okay, let's reconnect with family, and uh, I'll find a job somewhere. But I never thought I'd be living in Cleveland today. If you could talk to me back then, so me
0: neither.
2: Yeah, Um, (laughs) and what actually kept me here were the the people I met through this organization called Startup Bus, and I guess oh yeah yeah yeah. Let's
1: let's go through that that uh. You know, I've actually been I've been wanting to talk about Startup Bus on the podcast for a long time. And I haven't had anyone to to tell us about it, uh, but I've I found it just to be this amazing concept and and thing in practice. So so please tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure, uh, I'm by no means the only Clevelander that has participated, supported it, organized, or even led the organization. I, I may be one of the first national directors, but in 2011 was the very first year that Startup Bus became. Continent wide or nationwide, they did one bus in 2010 that went from San Francisco to Austin, Texas, and that was literally a thrown together, crazy idea that started because Ilya, the founder, was just having fun with friends and shooting the shit, and said, "Hey, uh, wouldn't it be great to put a bunch of us on a bus and build a build a startup and launch it at South by Southwest?" And uh, you know his, his stories is, is well-published out there. You can look it up and hear it in his own words, but it garnered some attention. So he's like, all right, let's 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 do this bigger. And that's when the people that rode that first bus went back to their home cities. And Cleveland just so happened to have uh, one of the original buspreneurs, as, as we call him, <laughs> people who ride the startup bus. Anthony Broad Crawford, he was the guy that organized the very first Cleveland effort and i was new to cleveland as an adult i should say and it was a totally different town than when i left so i really didn't know anybody networks were pretty thin and i had been interviewing for jobs but zero offers back then lots of interviews no offers and uh it's like okay i got to do something different saw this little blurb on twitter and said okay i'm going to show up and just see what this is all about Met him and a handful of other people that ended up being on the bus, but it's like, you have to apply. You have to prove that you're worthy to ride the bus. <laughs> Didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was just like, okay, this sounds kind of up my alley. Why not? Uh, I know how to start a business. I've been, I've done it a handful of times for other people. Well, why not do this thing and check out what this South by Southwest thing is all about? Didn't know much about that either. So I did it. And if you could say I drank the Kool-Aid, I, I drank it hard because <laughs> love the experience. Definitely not easy. And it, it's like being in a pressure cooker in the form of a motor coach for three days with people that you've never met before, but yet now you've all been through this hardship that you've created really strong bonds. So These are people that I became pretty much instant friends with just by the nature of the hardship of trying to build a product and launch it when, now mind you, this was in 2011 when 4G hadn't officially launched yet. (laughs) So building a product back in the days of very spotty mobile internet, but we did get 4G network back then. That was kind of cool. So Did that, got involved with the organizing group as the organization started to formalize itself and, uh, kept going back for more, more pain and torture, if you will. But (laughs) it always was rewarding in the end.
1: So, so we have at this point, both of you back in Cleveland. How, how do the two of you, how do your paths begin to, to intersect? Tell us a little bit about, about that.
0: So I got the idea for Cofilia in February 2019. Uh, There was a few months that I was thinking, you know, what to do? Should I move forward with this? I was just trying to think, like, what was my next professional career step? I ultimately decided June of that year, of 2019, to pursue Cofilia full-time. So I started with market research. Here in Cleveland, there's an organization some may know about called Jumpstart. They hosted an event that was called um, Startup Scale-Up. And it was an event for entrepreneurs where they were just showcasing like all the all the resources that uh, Cleveland has for entrepreneurs. Um, other entrepreneurs came to it. It was actually a really great event and it was perfect timing for me since it happened June of that year. So all yeah, of a yeah. sudden I was exposed to the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem, which I honestly did not know even existed. Again, I was also gone for a number of years, but you know it just wasn't something that was on my radar here in Cleveland. And then from there, I met a lot of those entrepreneurial organizations, a lot that are funded by the state of Ohio and the Hispanic Business Center was one of them. And so, you know, I was actually recommended by a coffee shop owner, in fact, that became a friend to go check him out because he ended up getting some entrepreneurial help from them in the form of advising. And so anyway, I ended up going there um, and, you know, I, I connected with Cole there. So he was the marketing and tech advisor. At um, the Hispanic Business Center, and we just hit it off from the first meeting. He just, I think, I think I surprised him with um, with my business idea when I came in. Right?
2: That's totally true. <laughs> yes,
0: he was maybe used to hearing like, "Oh, this is the new hair salon that I want to open up down the street," or, or you know, whatever. Whether it's a restaurant or whatever it is, and here I am, like, you know, I want to completely <laughs> unite local coffee shops around the country, and you know, everything else that. <laughs> um, the concept entailed. And so, you know, he, obviously huge scalable potential. And uh, anyway, so that's how we met. And then we just basically stayed in touch. And he was advising me over the next year or two. And I officially asked him to join Cophelia Last Like Me. And, um, mm-hmm. And he was, I mean, he was w- very happy to join, right? Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was excited.
2: Uh, did my due diligence, of course, and said, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. Yes.
0: So, but I mean, I've always felt like he was part yeah. of, it, it's just been me as a sole founder since 2019, but I always did feel like he was this like natural extension of me and the team. And like, he was part of the team I would refer to when we would talk, I would refer to any plans we would do with like, we versus like, I want to do this. What do you think more so like, how shall we do this? You know? Um, so it was just a matter of time before I wanted to make it official.
1: <laughs> so when you, when you first came to the, to the business center and, and kind of pitched this, this idea, wh- where, where did it come from? How, how did you come up with what, you know, you're now working on in the form of Cophilia.
0: So February in 2019, um, I ended up, I was kind of between, I was looking for actually corporate jobs before then because um, I came from like an amazing experience in Spain in this corporate environment, working for these great big companies. And I learned so much and I just thought like, there's so much to learn and, and more, you know, getting a job in mm-hmm. another company and continue learning before, you know, maybe one day I do my own thing. Anyway, I was at that point, um, I was in between jobs, and I went to this retreat in um, Ontario, Canada, with my friends. It was winter. We were just all, you know, they had little cafeteria, you know, the whole setup. And I remember we were sitting there eating lunch one one day. And I noticed that they all had their reusable mugs that they brought with them. But I also noticed like where the tea and coffee were since, you know, this place was providing us food and drink. They also had styrofoam cups over there, but I noticed everyone was actually using their reusable cups. And I'm the kind of person that just likes to question, like just even the simple reasons or ways like people think or do things. And I remember sitting at this cafeteria table and just picking up one of those reusable cups and thinking, wow, I wonder if there's a way... You can just buy this one reusable cup and be able to use it wherever you go for coffee. But but like just you buying it from like from the very beginning, that one cup, you don't have to pay for coffee after that. And it kind of sparked from there. So it came from like this whole sustainable angle first, in a sense, where I was impressed that my friends were using their reusable cups Um, And then, yeah, like this, I got this, this idea just sparked. And then I actually, even though it was like this nice relaxing retreat, I ended up like getting a flip chart out and I just started (laughs) like writing all over it, like who would this benefit? And I'm like, wow, this makes so much sense to benefit the local coffee shops that really have a pain point and that you know, they could really benefit from getting like that foot traffic and visibility and like everything else. And it just, it just all ended up coming down, you know, coming down on paper. I, you know, I wrote things down. I even was like brainstorming with some friends at <laughs> different angles. And I still have that piece of paper. I'm, I'm I'm, keeping that for, you know, years down the line. I can say like, this is where it started. I don't want to frame it too Protect soon. It. But yeah, well, just for your, for your own
1: memorabilia. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, maybe. It's for yourself.
1: It's not it's, uh, for anyone else. Yeah. I mean that that will, will have incredibly powerful nostalgia to it, I think, over time. Yes. <laughs> that's that's the proverbial, you know, business plan on a napkin. That's that's pretty It is, funny. except
0: it's like a poster board paper. And I'm like, it's a little hard Oh, to it's train. that big. It's like a flip chart Oh, it piece is. Of paper. <laughs> it truly really is like a flip chart piece of paper. So <laughs> that's
1: that's amazing though. This idea manifests in you know, from real world inspiration how do you begin to go about understanding the the problem right at the intersection of supporting local business and sustainability and you know the the this model how does uh how does cofilia then come to come to be i was going to lead lead you in alexandra because i think this
2: is where her consulting background really impressed me as the business advisor that she sat down with because i was like wait You've done what already? <laughs>
0: the market research? Yeah, she interviewed, what, two hundred seven, like 70, 80 people in person.
2: Oh, but there's a and then,
0: And then I had like over 500 survey respondents from yeah. like locally and all over the country and like different types of channels that I interviewed.
2: I normally pull teeth to get that kind of info yeah.
0: I from, loved from a it.
2: first-time start uh, founder.
0: Yeah, I like loved doing the market research, actually. <laughs> um, so so to answer your question first, I I did actually start putting the pieces together during that retreat, like I said, on that paper identified, like, these are, these are the pain points of local shops. This is like how this concept can benefit them. And, you know, obviously slowly over time it it developed, but as Cole was saying, um, so my first, my first step in moving forward from like all my business school training over the years, right. is like market research is Mm -hmm. so important. And so I started with, I actually went to one of my, the local coffee shop that was down the street for me. And um, I talked to the owner first. I got a couple intros to like a couple coffee shop owners, just also talk to them on that side because our like Ophelia is this two-sided market, right? Where we have like local coffee shops on one side and then coffee drinkers on the other. And I wanted to get the points of view of both, obviously, to see, is this an idea that is worth it is it something that has like some type of a potential you know from both sides so i sat down with some local coffee shop owners kind of got their take on um not only how their business runs but also you know this is the idea what i'm thinking you know what do you guys think about this and then one of those coffee shop owners she also i asked her if i can do market research in her shop so what i spent like doing in a whole month i did i think that's what you were probably impressed about i did 70 interviews within a month at this shop and oh I would just go the shop and I would just sit there and I would be like truly working. I mean, I, my brain just got going, like, <laughs> how could this develop into this like amazing company one day? But, you know, people are sitting there and I would just go up to them if they were alone and not like in conversation with someone else and just say, Hey, I have this business idea and I'm doing a survey. And like, do you want to tell me about coffee like how you drink coffee, what your habits are? It's a, it's a, you know, it's a coffee business and you know, coffee is very unintimidating. And if they're in a coffee shop, it's probably because they like coffee. So they were like, yeah, Yeah. sure. You know? So it was so interesting to obviously get all of that insight from the coffee drinkers within shops. And then I also launched like three different survey channels online, like one local, one national, just to really get a nice idea of just like what the public, public's coffee habits are and, and all of that. And then I also did one other piece of market research that I also found intru- important, which was Um, I know that I was interviewing people that were like sitting in coffee shops, but then I thought like there's also this missing element of the target market of people that are on the run and just like go into a coffee shop, get the to-go coffee and then go back to work. So there was like maybe about like 10 days where I would go to downtown Cleveland in the morning between usually like 8 and 10 a.m. I would just stand outside uh, some of the local coffee shops. I had these little cards, like business cards I printed that had a QR code on them. And I would just, um, it would say something like, share your coffee habits with like a local startup. And I would just, as people are coming out with their coffee, I would just say, hey, you know, this is a, I have a business idea for a, a coffee subscription startup. On your way back to the office or whenever you have time, when you sit down, you can just scan this with a QR code and fill out my survey. And I actually ended up getting like 80 or 90 respondents on that. And that was like after passing out about like 400 cards. So mm-hmm. if you do like the ratio is actually pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's very good turnout. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. Obviously, like everything, like the more information and insights you have and like qualitative and quantitative, it's just, it really helps you, you know, obviously form like next steps and, you know, just give you a better understanding of the market. So
2: knowing your customer. Yes. That's huge. And mm-hmm. next big thing was validation.
0: Yeah. So with that, I ended up eventually, you know, signing my first shops and then, you know, launching July 2020.
1: So I think it, it might be helpful. And I, I also want to ask, you know, just kind of what maybe the most surprising takeaways were from all that, that customer research. But I, I think at this point, you know, just kind of what, what was the pitch you were giving to, to store owners and, and uh, you know, what, how, how did you see Cofelia as a business at that point?
0: I mean, I saw it kind of as I already mapped it out, you know, just I wanted Cophelia to be this this, this platform that brings like coffee drinkers and coffee local coffee shops together in a better and easier way. And so just, you know, how can I benefit coffee drinkers, right? And how can I benefit local coffee shops and like solve their pain points, which they definitely had some, you know, local coffee shops, they don't have the resources, whether it's like people or money as like the big chains do.
2: Or time.
0: Yeah, or technology, right? They don't have, like, the mobile ordering apps and, you know, everything else as Starbucks and Dunkin' do. So, yeah, it was a little bit of that.
1: <laughs> what, what were the most surprising takeaways from all of your interviews? Stuff that you really did not expect going into asking these kinds of questions.
0: Well, like, one of the questions that really helped... Um, like it was a huge insight, I would say, is I asked people in the survey, what's the number one reason that keeps you from going to local coffee shops more? And across all the survey channels, so like these are different audiences, the number one answer was that local coffee shops are sometimes harder to find than chains. So it wasn't about price or like, I live closer to this shop, or you know, whatever it is. It was just, or, or convenience actually. It was like sometimes they're harder to find, and I just thought that was really interesting that that was the number one answer across all the survey channels. And then that spoke, like that spoke to me, where I was like, you know, even me as a personal consumer, if you type in local like coffee shop into Google Maps, you will get the local shops, but you'll also get the gas stations, you'll get Starbucks, Dunkin', Diners, maybe that might not really have. Like basically good coffee,
2: (laughs) any establishment that has the word coffee on a menu.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And that's just not, I think for, for, for coffee drinkers that are becoming also like desiring quality, becoming more refined, which there are like, it's a growing amount of the population. I mean, that's just not acceptable (laughs) anymore. And it's actually just causes decision fatigue. When you go on Google Maps and you just want to find a really, you know, a nice, cool local coffee shop that, you know, is quality, that, you know, is like cute, has the vibes you want, whatever it is, and just be able to go to it. So I thought, like that's a really important insight I got from that market research. Like we need to showcase them, like have people be able to discover them easier through Cofilia. And then whether that's locally here in the Cleveland market right now, but I mean, with our vision of going across the whole country, imagine going to like another city just for the weekend that you don't know that city. And all you have to do is you just go on the future Cafelia app, you search for the local coffee shops in that area that are our partners, and you just take your cup with you to those shops you don't have to make any decisions there it's like the best shop for what you need that day so ultimately that's what I mean that's kind of giving a little bit of insight like where our vision for the future but it was very interesting to just get that insight out and it really kind of helped pave the way for where we need to like focus on and kind of help help consumers discover local coffee shops easier.
1: yeah, I, I really love the the whole idea of empowering local Coffee shops that that maybe don't have the scale and infrastructure and you know all the technology and capital that the that the starbucks is of of the world have. I, I'm curious, you know, just going up up a level to the kind of the, the market and and how you know coffee in our society has changed over the, the last few years. what what is that What does that look like, and how has that kind of played out?
2: Some people may have heard of like the different waves of coffee. I'm going to jump into like the second wave and uh, American, this is very generalized here, but American coffee before the nineties was considered something that's bitter, that keeps you awake and you had to acquire a taste (laughs) for it
0: and process the acquired
2: taste for sure. Yes.
0: Like Folgers and Maxwell, let's just say it. <laughs> <Right> yes. <now. laughs> Basically,
2: yes. Yeah. Uh, it, or the percolated version. Anyway, it required milk and sugar to be palatable for a lot of people. Enter Starbucks in its big uh, push to, to really change the way that Americans, or I should say, change the relationship that Americans have with coffee. And they did that with the, the third place concept. And they did that really well. And I have to credit. Starbucks did a really good job elevating
0: coffee culture,
2: the whole coffee
0: culture. Yeah. In the U S
2: exactly. And Uh, they were
0: emulating Italian coffee culture. That's like where their origins came from.
2: Exactly. And it's also very strong in Italy. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So that changed and they've learned and they've perfected ways to, to deliver coffee at consistent quality at a massive scale. I think they're either like the number one or number two coffee business out there. I think maybe Nestle might be bigger, but. That was the second wave, and that definitely elevated everything. The third wave is is kind of where we are today. And uh, a lot of people attribute the third wave is originating on the West Coast, mostly like the Portland area, as to a, a more, even more refined coffee experience where you have even higher quality original product, meaning working with the farmers to produce a consistent high quality coffee bean to the, the the processing of the beans to make sure that everything is done cleanly. Um, and not only just quality product, but also working with the people that produce the raw materials to make sure that it is a sustainable enterprise, making sure that people actually have fair living wages, all the way down to like doing the the right things for the environment to sustain the crops as, as long as possible. All of that goes into producing a much higher quality coffee. But what does it really taste like? Well, it, it means that there's different flavors to coffee than what we as Americans typically would associate. So you go from like the, the 1950s to the, ni- to the 1990s of this super bitter Arabica Robusta coffee mix to mostly Arabica coffees today, which uh, which is what is considered like a higher quality coffee it has more flavor slightly less caffeine you know obviously there are way more coffee centric people than than even myself in this third wave there's multiple different types of brewing you get to experience the subtlety of the flavor a lot more you don't roast the beans to a a high a high rate so that they're super dark and i'm forgetting my like flavor words here but caramelized in a way so dark coffees tend to always taste the same because it's just roasted and you get that roasted flavor. Well, there's other flavors that are hiding in the beans if you don't roast it as long. And you know what those are, are dependent upon uh, a lot of other factors that Somebody else can listen to you on another podcast. <laughs>
0: but, but I would say practically speaking, so like third wave coffee is the same with how how wine went from, you know, like people are really into like the different flavors of wine. I would compare oh, for sure, yeah. to that. So like coffee used to be this like super basic commodity, right? Like as Cole described it. But then now we're entering like coffee does have so many flavor profiles, like the same way you know, wine does like, for example,
1: right? Right. It runs okay. very parallel to uh, when we had Dan Conway from Great Lakes Brewing come on and he kind of gave the history of of beer production and, and went from these like Goliath, very bland, you know, beer production to the to the craft brewers and the whole proliferation of, I guess, craft brewing is maybe the equivalent to the third wave here of just focus on like the the nuance of the flavor and and uh exactly. and local sustainable production.
0: And it ultimately also being like more of an experience than mm-hmm. just fuel, right? And right. that's why yeah. you know, that's why there are so many beautiful local coffee shops now and coffee shop owners that are so dedicated to, you know, getting the right beans, like brewing them really well, serving that nice cup that just like warms your day, you know. <laughs> um it's a totally different experience, you know, so hmm.
1: So from, from a, you know, I, I sign up for, for Cofilia, you know, walk us through what the experience is like for someone who is, you know, using it on, on the consumption side. And then, you know, from the, from the, the shop side, what, what is their experience like as they, as they work with you?
0: So on the website, that's just where you sign up and you basically you go there and you get to choose like your own coffee plan. You can customize it to how much coffee you drink and what type of coffee you drink. So you can choose between 5, 10, 15 or 20 cups a month, depending on, again, how often you think you'll go out. And that's like cups of coffee that you'll get out in coffee shops. Um, so you could choose how many cups of coffee, and then you choose if you're more like a drip or crafted coffee person. And by crafted coffee, we mean, you know, the espresso drinks, um, the cold brews, pour overs, you know, things that the baristas really put, you know, time and effort into making versus just the, you know, very easy drip coffee. And then, uh, and now we have two sizes. So actually, you can even choose if you want a 12 or 16 ounce. And once you put your coffee plan together, um, then you get your exclusive cafilia cup. And it is a cup that is made from um, glass and it has a silicon lid and sleeve. So there's no plastic involved there. And um, then that cup is actually your coffee wallet in a sense. So we've transformed this device that this vessel that just used to carry liquid into something of monetary value, because on the bottom of your cup, you have your own unique customer ID so what happens then is once you get your cup, you just bring your cup into any of the local coffee shops that are part of our network to get your coffee filled via your cup and subscription. So that is, you know, in a nutshell, pretty much how it works. And there's really yeah, no yeah. concept out there in the whole country uh, like it, which is really cool. And we decided to launch it in Cleveland first. <laughs> exactly.
1: Which, which is, a, is amazing. A lot of questions from from here, but I, I think maybe we could start with, you know, notoriously, it's very difficult to build a, the, the two sided marketplace where, you know, from the from the onset, you have to build up enough demand so that you can get the supply interested, and you have to have enough supply so that you could get the demand interested. You know, through the lens of how you approached it in Cleveland, how, what what did that look like at the onset? What you know, how did you get sufficient buy in from from local store owners to to want to participate?
0: So it was like early 2020. I think it was even, it could have been before like the pandemic actually officially started, but I ended up like signing my first shop. And that was such a big deal for me because I'm like, oh my goodness, somebody trusts me with this idea. I mean, it's just an idea, but they trust me with this business and I'm forever grateful to that shop. So basically I did end up launching July, 2020 with five coffee shops. That's how it kind of started. Right. And actually, we got subscribers from the beginning, which was amazing because we did, you know, from all the market research I did, I actually ended up like collecting a lot of emails that people willingly gave me for when it launches to let them know. Yeah, just over time, like now we have 23 local coffee shop partners and growing, you know, hopefully every month. So, yeah, that's kind of how it how it started with those five. And, and yeah, I mean, it's true. Like you said, you do need you do need the supply. You need the local shops, right? In order to continue getting more subscribers. And we have a place on our website where people submit their favorite local coffee shop. And we have like hundreds of submissions. So people are obviously excited. Like they want to see their local coffee shop join. And um, yeah, it's just a matter of us like finally getting around to, you know, meeting with these coffee shop owners, getting them on board and 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 all of that, so so yeah, it's exciting
1: it, It's very exciting, extrapolating from there, right? How do you begin to think about what it is to scale Caphilia and you know take this this kind of proof point that you have of of what you've been able to accomplish here in Cleveland and replicate that, right? because I, I, that that's ultimately the goal, is it?
2: Yes, of course. So Cleveland. Every city has its own flavor. Here in Cleveland, we've we've learned a lot. You know, you make mistakes, you you fix them and you move on uh, and you, you do your best to never make that mistake again. And this is a great place to learn because it's not too costly. And keeping the business relatively small also keeps the mistakes, again, not too costly. And call it the, the hometown pride, if you will. I, I think overall, I think our... Our members have been pretty uh, uh, understanding as this is a new concept, as we put this together, and as we continue to evolve and to build something better that can be replicated at larger scale. So last year, we actually did some testing by exhibiting at the Columbus Coffee Festival. And the interest and support was beyond our expectation, actually. Columbus is a very interesting and, and ripe coffee market for a service like Cofilia. And we do have plans to launch later this year. That is very exciting. And in order to get to that scale, our internal business processes have to basically get rebuilt all over again, because at every stage of growth, there is not just a, this nice, beautiful, linear ramp that we all get to walk through. No, it, it's a uh, it's a grind and we have to climb to the next stair step level and sometimes it's much harder to get to than others but we're we're in process now to to do a lot of uh rebuilding on internally so that later this year when we when we do get to launch in the next metro market that uh, we're able to handle a, a lot more throughput when it comes to the number of shops that we've onboarded the, the efficiencies there as well as lots and lots of new coffee members, it, yeah. There's just a lot of data that actually has to happen on the back end in order to keep all of these individualized subscriptions in check and fair. Also, like part of the benefit of being a member of Cafelia is that you you pick your your customized plan and you you make one payment but then you visit any shop that you want to on our network and their pricing is all going to be different. And, you know, we obviously different markets are going to have different pricing. So we're doing our best to run the analysis and making sure that it, we can provide a bit of a discount to the member, because that's, that's one of the benefits that we'd, we'd like to attract people with is that, yeah, they can save a, a little bit of cash on, on what we're doing. Uh, it's not like we can give away unlimited Everything. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, we, we looked into that. Of course, we wanted to. Like that sounds great. I think that's an easy thing to sign up for. <laughs> but it is a n- totally unsustainable business model. And we did find some pretty good examples of businesses in the coffee space that had tried that and are not around anymore. Uh, and mm. they we watched how they pivoted and they they left that space entirely. Again, they were slightly different than than what we're, what we're doing. But yeah, unlimited doesn't work unless it's you're you're giving away pennies. And when you're giving away pennies for coffee, there's one chain that does this and that the coffee's not so good. (laughs) So again, we're, we're focused on local communities, independent, local quality shops. And the big part here is quality and quality doesn't come free, but we're going to make uh, every effort we can to make it as accessible and easy to find as possible.
1: What does uh, cofilia mean? I realized at the onset we forgot to kind of talk about that, but (laughs) we've said the word so many times.
0: Yeah. So um, back when I, in 2019, when I was like going, you know, thinking whether I should pursue this idea or not. And I did decide, I decided, all right, let's do this. And I was thinking though, what name to call it. And like having lived a of course, in like I said, different countries as well. Um, obviously, I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, my background Serbian, so I've been to Serbia so many times. And anywhere you go, actually, I mean, even Southeast Asia, Australia, anywhere, coffee just has this magic of bringing people together, right? And like forming community. And I think like local coffee shops, they get into the business to provide great coffee, but also create community in that local neighborhood. And so, as I was thinking, you know, I actually went through this like design thinking exercise with a good friend of mine from Barcelona. And as we're doing this, you know, he's asking me if you've heard about the golden circle by Simon Sinek. And you start with like the why's in the middle, and then there's the how, and then the what, and we were going through this exercise. And when we got to the why, he's like, well, what's the why? And like, what's, and you know, it was you know at the, at that early stage I was like struggling like what is the why and then he's like well what's your personal why mm-hmm. and I remember thinking like all right just be as simple as possible you know what is my why and I guess my why was just like connecting people and like loving people like loving friends bringing friends together bringing people together um, I love that I'm an extrovert I love people I love bringing people together and I was like that's really my why and then I also remembered um, studying, actually, like in Greek, there's like four words for the word love um, in Greek. And so philia was one of those words. And philia in Greek is kind of like that friendship brotherly kind of love. And that's why like Philadelphia, for instance, it has the name the city of brotherly love because of the root Philadelphia. And so I was like, oh, that's it. That's it. It just like perfectly describes it describes me as a founder. It describes what coffee does. It describes what local coffee shops do. It's just perfect, like philia. Yeah, and then like just maybe, you know, I gave it a few more days and then I'm like, what about coffee, right? Like adding the CA to it. And that way it gave it like a subtle coffee cafe, like feel, but without being too obvious. You know, I never wanted to name business something that had anything to do with like the word coffee beans java anything <laughs> and so i was like this yep, is perfect yep. and then i found out like it's actually a super unique word like it's not it just like you know it wasn't on social it, media is
1: is it a word like an actual or it, it sounds like you've you've constructed I made it. it yeah i made the word <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah and no what i'm saying is like it wasn't even it wasn't trademarked there wasn't like a website there wasn't anything wow. And i was like wow <laughs> this was like so perfect anyway so that's that's basically like the origin it was so we like we described the feeling we actually made t-shirts uh, for the columbus coffee festival where like the definition of cofilia is bringing um creating the friendship kind of coffee through community oh, how was it exactly Can you, do you remember
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's literally a like a dictionary graphic artist art yeah. of a dictionary entry and uh Incomplete with a phonetic section. Oh, I remember.
0: It was spreading the friendship kind of love through coffee and community. I believe that's what it was. That sounds
2: right. That sounds right. I almost wore the shirt today.
0: <laughs> and we just think that's, you know, it's just such a nice definition. I love why like the origins in Greek, just from like my like international background and like my interests. And so, yeah, that's that's the origin of cofilia as a word.
2: I might add that uh, when... Alexandra first came into my office, she already had all of this done. And I was like, so what are you going to call this business? And she said, Cofilia. And I was like, oh, I've never heard anything like that. That sounds interesting. Tell me more. And I heard this story and like, oh, wow. Don't even have to work on branding right now. <laughs> this
0: is good.
1: <laughs> no, starting with why it's such a, a cool, I think, origin of it all. And I think it it gets at you know what maybe success ultimately looks like. From a a future retrospective, you know, perspective. But I am curious how you know going back to the the ideas of you know kind of being at the the intersection of local business and sustainability. How do you want to measure impact, and and what does that mean to you? I can say that we have grand plans to be able to
2: capture all the data that I should say we are capturing the data, but we'd love to be able to have the time and effort to present it back to our membership and to the public. There's a lot of really good examples out there of companies who are either publishing like transparency reports or putting their money where their values are. We are looking into becoming B Corp certified. There, there is an effort going on there. So in terms of how to quantify what our metric is. It, it, we we'd love to almost gamify the sustainability elements for our members because you can quantify every time you avoid putting trash in the bin. And so that's something that is continually racking up every time a member redeems one of their coffees. And on our website we have a little bit of information about this about like a typical coffee user and and how much you can actually avoid putting into landfill. And I'd love to get further into that in terms of a common denominator, whether it's like the carbon or uh, CO2 capture. I mean, there's there's so many different elements and I'm not an expert in that field, Mm -hmm. but I definitely want to get to that point.
0: Yeah, I would say like the impact of sustainability, as you asked, is like, for instance, if you throw away three, if you drink three to-go cups of coffee per week, which is like if you're a coffee drinker and you leave your house, like you don't work at home and make coffee at home, that's like a pretty reasonable number to get coffee out um, per week. Over a course of a year, you throw away 156 cups of coffee and actually you can multiply that by three in terms of like the waste. So you have the cup, lid and sleeve and all three of those elements actually get thrown away. Um, so... So that is like 156 cups a whole year. I mean, it's a ton that really doesn't have to be thrown away. So that's where I can see like an impact um, from the sustainability angle. And yeah, we, you know, as we grow and we're able to quantify that even more in different ways, I think that that is going to be great. And then as far as like the practical impact to coffee shops, you know, I always say coffee shops, they do things better, right? they get the right beans they they roast it the right way they do it better than the big chains right but we just are want to tell their story better together so yeah i mean our our ultimate goal and our vision is to be in every major us city and unite local coffee shops in the whole country in that sense because i think i mean at that point if we end up creating that I mean, Starbucks and Dunkin' and Panera, I mean, we are going to be, we can have a huge segment of the market if we're able to create some type of a unified uh, local coffee shop market there. Yeah, but ultimately, it's like, it's for the benefit of the local coffee shops, right? Like, of course, of course, we benefit from it too. You know, we're creating a business, but our two pillars that the company stands on is supporting local coffee shops and um, helping people become more environmentally sustainable in a very easy way. In short, that's our biggest impact that we plan on doing on, you know, a large scale. So you can imagine like how many shops, how many coffee shops there are, how many major U.S. cities. I mean, it it can be huge.
1: Yeah. I mean, thinking about it at that enormity of of scale, I imagine, and if if you were to like take stock of a lot of those, you know, marketplace businesses that have this real geographically specific component to them and, and how they built that out over time. A lot of capital maybe is is required. How are you thinking about you know having proved you know the model, scaling it from from the the kind of you know support that that you might need to to realize that vision that you have?
0: Well, funding.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we. (laughs) we, The short answer. (laughs) We will need a lot
2: more financial resource for Um, the
0: scaling bit. Yes, definitely. Yeah.
2: So yeah, we're 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 looking at how other businesses that have similar relationship needs in each local community and how they were able to scale. And some businesses, they scaled very quickly, but also created a lot of their friction along the way. If you look at how Uber scaled it is like an example there, it was cunning and ingenious, and, and but also created a lot of friction. And on the other hand, a little bit slower to roll out, but also very successful is the story of Instacart, for example, who I might add two of the three founders uh, were also coworkers of mine in Startup Bus. So it's like, okay, uh, if I knew people who could do this, I'm sure I could figure, out, figure this out eventually mm-hmm. too. But yes, it's going to take a lot more people and a lot more money. And those talks, those talks have started. So I'm
1: excited like they're, Anyone they're, if yeah. they Anyone
0: listening. Yeah. You know, <laughs> reach out.
1: <laughs> Amazing. As you look to the future and the next few months and, and fundraising and, and all the, you know, the rollout to, to other markets, what has you each, you know, respectively most, uh, most excited?
0: I mean, I'm excited for like, so when I tell people about, you know, what the potential Cofilia has, where like, you have, so you have your coffee plan, you have your cup and you plan on going to Austin for the weekend or Miami for the week. And you can just like bring your cup, not have to, like, you have no idea about like the coffee shop market in that city. You might know it in your own city, not anywhere else. And just be able to bring your cup, find a local coffee shop and and go to it and enjoy it without having that decision fatigue. I mean, when I tell people this, I mean, we haven't even talked to a coffee shop owner today and he said, I mean, he literally said that to us before we even said it to him where he's like, I could totally see this being amazing where like when you go travel, you just bring your cup and it like, so the more we can kind of connect the cities and connect local coffee shops across the country, you know, connecting the, obviously the coffee drinkers with the shops. I mean, this is where it's just so full of potential there for me. And I'm very excited about that part.
2: Totally. And I've been in love with coffee since I I had to launch a little business in 2007 for the investment firm I worked for. And I was like, wow, how did I not know that coffee could be this good and great? uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. And I was in love with it ever since. And I, I, yeah, my friends at the time called me a coffee snob because I wouldn't go to certain places because the coffee was bad (laughs) Uh, or I would critique their, their, their grind settings and, and such. So yeah, I also am extremely excited about the pure potential for making an impact in the space because I love quality coffee and I recognize that there is a a threshold at which the quality seems to drop off at scale and it's a whole nother animal to be able to supply a consistent quality product across an entire Uh, continent or let alone globally. So yeah, I I think that's an impressive feat regardless, but at the expense of quality, unfortunately. So if you focus on quality and you realize that, wow, uh, if you just focus on smaller quantities of coffee at a time in the roasting and the purchasing, and then also in the making of your individual coffee drink, you are actually going to have a phenomenal experience with coffee and people are enjoying that. And I just want to make sure that that doesn't die because small independent coffee shops, they, you know, they're really good about delivering a quality coffee experience and really good about keeping a local community of, of coffee drinkers happy and Life happens in these coffee shops. So, how can I make sure that and do my part to make sure that this local community and life in a world that is super connected yet disconnected through technology? How can we actually just show up and en- enjoy something together? And you know, obviously, when I heard this whole concept uh, from Alexandra, I was like, oh <laughs> man! And what kind of help do you need? How can I help <laughs> you through this and through this office that I was working through? And now to be part of it and actually have the opportunity to really drive the, this, this impact, I'm excited about that potential of, all right, in, in my mind, I'm, I want to save quality coffee. Quality, ha- quality coffee for me happens at a small, local scale. That's just what I, I'd like to do.
0: And I'm very relational too. So I'm like, I want to create that community. I want people to, I want people's lives to be changed in coffee shops, which they are. I mean, that's where you can have your first date to the person you marry. I mean, that's where you might finish your thesis for school. And these are all, by the way, stories we've heard from people, right? Yeah, real stories. So, I mean, there's just so much, uh, so many memories that happen in your local coffee shop that uh, we just hope to, you know, be part of facilitating those connections.
1: They are really a, a magical place that seems to foster that kind of community and in, in a way that few other places do the, these days. As you reflect on the journey thus far, what have been the, the biggest takeaways that, that you've had? Learnings, lessons, things that have surprised you?
2: It, interestingly enough, like the business side of things, it's... I don't think has had the, like to, to use your words, like the, like this big surprise or, or whatnot. It, I think getting this whole thing to work is actually more of a uh, personal thing for me. So it's like, okay, well, how can I personally gear myself so that I can grow personally as the business grows and the needs of the business change. Cause then I have to be a, a different person for the business cause the business needs different, different attention and, and different skills. So I am trying to make myself more malleable and to, can, to be ready and also to continue to grow. And I'm, I liked learning things. So I, I'm, I'm a sucker for just reading anything that looks interesting to me. So I'm excited to grow with this business and, and ride that journey, if you will. I think that's been my challenge and it's not the, the business side of things. I think those challenges are all addressable uh, and there's, there's, there's compromises to be made. There's, there's relationships to maintain and, and to, to navigate. And, but I look at all those as figureoutable. The, it's the personal side that uh, I think is the bigger challenge for me personally.
0: Yeah, and for me, I would say, like, sometimes I think about, um, like, the market here, and as Cole mentioned earlier, like, the market is a, it's a good one, you know, where, like, it's forgivable, and uh, people, they have that, I guess, if they know, you know, it's a local startup, so they have that home hometown of pride. I guess the, the challenge sometimes I wonder is, how would we, how would this concept succeed or grow, and what growth rate would it have in you know, another major city, right? Um, So I don't know if it's more of a challenge, but it's more just like thinking about, like, this is a very particular market. It really is. Like a lot of of people, not everyone, there's a lot of boomerangs like me and Cole, but there's a lot of people that, you know, they're born here, they grew up here, they don't really leave much. Again, we had these conversations with someone last week, you know, just like, this is a very peculiar peculiar market. And so um, I guess, yeah, like a challenge would be just, um, I wonder how another major progressive city with people that are coming in and out from all over the world, I wonder how they would react to it. But, yeah, I mean, it's something that we have yet to like that's in our future, obviously, to find out, and we're yeah, very, yeah, we're very excited about that. It's just yeah, it's just like one of those things I wonder, you know
2: <laughs> yeah, if you ever uh, have repeat guests, call us back in oh sometime in the future and <laughs> see how our answers change, yeah. <laughs>
1: I would love to. I, I'm, yeah, we'll have a season two of Lay of the Land where we have everyone back on <laughs> in a few years. see so, yeah, how it's gone. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it might surprise some Clevelanders to know that Cleveland is actually the third largest coffee market in the state of Ohio. Columbus has the largest coffee market, followed by Cincinnati. And those two markets aren't just a little bit bigger than Cleveland. Those two markets are actually quite a little bit bigger than our Cleveland area market. And yeah, I'm talking about the Cleveland general area, not Cleveland proper, but the whole two million. The, the 2 whole million of it.
1: Area. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We can keep it on the the Cleveland note for for a sec here as we as we wrap up our closing question that that we have for everyone who comes on is for a hidden gem in Cleveland. So not necessarily your favorite thing, but could be. Uh, but but for something that other folks may not may not know about coffee or, or otherwise.
2: So when I hear your question, I think, Oh man. So what's really special about Cleveland? And I love when visitors come here because most people who've never been to Cleveland really don't know what to expect. And well, I, I know that Cleveland is a food town and I know that as Clevelanders, we're, we're proud of our, our food scene in a way. So that's where my head goes when I think, okay, what's a hidden gem? Well, I want to take a visitor to some place that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world and that's something that something is, is unique here. And one of those such places, and I, and I love to visit myself, is the Happy Dog on the near West Side. I love that place because where else can you put 50 different types of toppings on a hot dog and it tastes delicious, <laughs> no matter which way you mash it up? It, it, yeah, I
1: agree. Happy Dog is great.
0: I would say for me, um, I was just thinking, that's why I let like Cole first. I wasn't sure yet, but <laughs> I ended up. I, I thought about it. And this was like, this is a good one, I think. So I moved back to the States in 2016. I was kind of officially back in Cleveland, like January, 2017. And I remember, so I started looking for jobs in the area and I would actually go downtown and just like walk around downtown. And granted, like I left in 2010. So like 2016 and 17, like things were so different in the city. And so just walking around downtown, I was actually like walking around and like trying to like get into buildings and like knock on doors and like leave my resume because I'm bold like that. <laughs> but as I was walking around, it's like my eyes were open to like all this beautiful architecture actually in the city. And some of that was actually covered. Like before I left Cleveland, like for instance, the, I think it's called the Schofield building. It's there on East Ninth and Euclid. It's this beautiful brick red building. And I'm like, I never saw this building before in my life. And I grew up here. Well, it was because it was like covered, I think in concrete, like from the 60s.
2: It was and, quote modernized in the 1960s with a facade. I know exactly what building yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, and it's
0: beautiful. And I'm like, what happened? You know, so it was that. And then you have like the Heinen's downtown that used to be it used to be a bank, and like it's just it has this beautiful rotunda and architecture. And then if you go down East Ninth, there's like the Marble Room restaurant for those that that know Cleveland. And it's it used to be um, National City Bank headquarters, and it was actually like it's actually the largest. It was the largest U.S. Bank lobby, largest or second largest U.S. bank lobby. And now it is like. The most gorgeous restaurant, I think, in Cleveland. Um, It's just just something you find in New York City, honestly, in in my opinion, Um, with Cleveland prices too, which is cool. (laughs) But anyway, so I think it's definitely just like the architecture is really like the hidden gem and there's a lot of Art Deco and, you know, I'm not like an architect. I've never like studied architecture in like such a deep way, but I have like a deep appreciation for history, culture and architecture when you kind of put it all together. So I just love learning about like, the history of Cleveland and like through the architecture and through all these buildings I was discovering as I was walking around downtown for like, you know, a week or two. So, so yeah, I think that is Cleveland's hidden gem.
1: I love that one. It it resonates a lot. It's the architecture is, is amazing uh, when you walk around downtown. Well, Cole, Alexandra, I, I really appreciate you you coming on today and for, uh, for sharing your your story and the work you're doing at Echophilia. I think it's uh, an amazing uh company and i i'm very excited to, to follow along on your journeys
0: thank you and thanks thank you for jeffrey. having us
1: yeah my my pleasure
2: yeah for anyone who's curious uh our website is dot
1: amazing that would be the best place for folks to reach out to you guys if they have anything they'd like to follow up about
0: absolutely sign up coffee shop owners investors anything you name it we're there <laughs>
1: awesome well thank you again
0: thanks so much jeffrey
1: that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternfe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC.